welcome to Movie Fail Podcast. This is a dueling review of Birdman. I am Josh Rosenfield. I'm here with Soren Howe. Uh, Birdman is a new film by Alejandro Gonzalez Iñárritu. It is about a washed-up superhero actor named Riggan Thompson, played by Michael Keaton, who is struggling to stage a Broadway play, and uh, lots of other uh, things are in this movie. <laughs> but uh, that, that that sums up the basics. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. we... Um, so we split on this movie. I, I think yeah, it's fair is, to say. You know what's funny? We split on it, but I think we uh, we split on it in the. This is why I, I hate scores. <laughs> you know, because I feel like if you read both of our reviews without scores, you'd probably go, "You know what? They pretty much felt similarly about the film." Yeah, because I think we did. <laughs> I think so. It's just yeah. it's just that um, you uh, what you didn't like, you like you didn't like more. I guess. Um, yeah. Well, I think what what it ultimately came down to for me is. It got so close to being something that mm. I really liked, I was, I ended up really, really disappointed that it wasn't, and that there was all this other s- stuff in it, mm-hmm. um, which is why I, I ultimately came down, which is why I gave it 50 in the, in the post, 50%, mm-hmm. and I think that's as fair as I would get with it, because <laughs> the, wow. what I'm talking about is not fully half of the movie, but I, I was willing to, you know... I'm being generous with that score, I think. Wow. But, okay. you know, so, yeah, I, maybe we should just get that out of the way. Um, and then we can we can really dive in. So the the, the single shot, this film is, is edited to look like it's uh, in a single shot, and I found that... Except except for the first and last shot of the descending, like, meteor thing that you're... Yeah, there are, there are, like, three... Sh- really quick shots at the beginning then the whole movie starts and then at the end mm-hmm. there's also a kind of in a book exactly yeah well there's a quick sequence of some other quick shots similar shots non-narrative related shots and mm-hmm. then it kind of goes back to the narrative which mm-hmm. is i feel like that was just done to piss off people who were excited that the whole movie the whole movie is going to be in one shot <laughs> it's actually <laughs> just 99% of the movie <laughs> and I was it, it would have been I don't it wouldn't have been more satisfying for me if it was all all one shot but I can definitely see people being kind of irked by oh if you hadn't done that <laughs> yeah right, um, right right it's you know it's kind of like when people say the whole movie is this like when you know when you talk about the movie all is lost and you say there's no dialogue what you really mean is there's one or two lines but mm-hmm. there's not no dialogue but you get what I mean um, right, but anyway, right, right. Um, basically, yeah, it, basically, this is yeah. more or less all a single shot, mm-hmm. and or made to look like exactly because of course there are transitions. Yeah, yeah, it's not a shot in one, and in fact, it would because that would be insane. It, well, it would have been impossible <laughs> to do this all yeah. in one shot without stopping at least. You know, it would forget. You know, cutting. Well, you know, it might be more possible if they were to do it in a time frame that was like maybe in real time. You would have because to because yeah. what. Because what they're doing here is, unless you did enough, you had enough, like, let's say you focused on Michael Keaton for a while, and then on Stone for a while, so that when you came back to Michael Keaton, he could be in a different outfit to represent a different day. But the problem is, they're going outside, it's daytime, it's nighttime, it's raining, it's not raining, um, and so there's all these different time periods, different clothing, different outfits, so it, it really wouldn't work in anything other than um, you need the transition. Well, there are moments, uh, so yeah, there is... are moments where, like, you'll see a character and then the camera will move to a different location and the character will be there, too. Mm-hmm. Like, there, think of the moment where um, Nord, Edward Dorton and Emma Stone are on this, like, banister and it can't, the camera kind of leaves them and floats over the banister down to the stage and Norton is on stage. Right. And it's like, right, it's, right, really, right. it's really disconcerting and it's it's so fascinating to me because it's, it's it dealing with, you know, the, the whole nature of film editing and what editing does for us as an audience and in by making it all one shot we're kind of forced to either completely change the way that we watch movies or Mm -hmm. keep this entire film you know for reference in our brains you know because normally you would have to keep a couple shots in your head in at any given moment watching a film in order to give context to the uh succeeding shot this is mm. so 
and that's you know yeah this this film is like the anti um, La Jetée in a way yeah uh, it seriously is yeah <laughs> um, and which is funny I and we both love that movie um, but but you know what's funny about it is that you know the one take what's interesting about the one take and what's funny is I criticized Gravity because uh, I love um, I love Emmanuel uh, Lubezki's cinematography, especially in in Children of Men, which I still hold as one of the best movies I've ever seen. Um, in that, I thought the opening shot of Gravity was great, and then because he because Quaron kept using it, it sort of had diminishing returns each time. Um, and that movie's filled with long takes, but this movie doesn't do that. It, it uses it once for an entire film, which gives it the um, which which doesn't ever lose its momentum in terms of what it's doing. Like it's it's raising tension. It's it's whatever. So I think that this makes a whole lot of sense. But it it does go contrary not to even our filmmaking sensibilities necessarily, although it does. But filmmaking sensibilities were often are in a way a direct um, manifestation of how we you know how we dream. We dream in images. You know that we connect with scenes and things. But we we dream in discrete entities and so to link it all together into one long uh no cut no jump no time jumps is is unnatural and so it it that's why it has an effect on us you know on like at our core um so it's cool to see a movie like this that's all one take that's not just a um it's not just a scene it's a full film because for like two hours two and a half hours or however long this is it you have to just take this very unnatural shot yeah in and I think the La, I think the La Jetée comparison is is a really interesting one because to me that film is saying a lot about if you don't know this is a film that's told entirely in this it's a short film told with still images and narration mm-hmm. and uh, there's a moment halfway through that film where there's all of a sudden like a shot that, uh, that moves like a moving image and mm-hmm. it's preceded by like the same angle it's a woman's face and kind of very the shots get kind of quicker and quicker as she's moving and leading up to this actual movement that we're familiar with. And I think that's kind of what Chris Marker was saying there is like, any time you are watching a film, all you're watching is images played in order. And that's really, if you you think about it, that's not any different than what I'm showing you here is images in order. It's just a lot slower. And Mm -hmm. I think that's Birdman is, is doing that a lot too. I think of the, there's a moment where um, Riggin is like standing on the sidewalk and he starts to float and he floats mm-hmm. up out of the frame and you see oh yeah I think I think we're using that image in the uh... yeah yeah <laughs> and you see uh, like after he's out of the frame you see people on the street kind of looking up and pointing and, and you assume they're looking at him floating but then the right. camera keeps going up and then it gets to the top of yeah, the, the building, building. And he's standing <laughs> on the edge and you realize that's what they're pointing at they're pointing at him on the edge but there's no cut to signify that. It's just all mm. part of one single visual idea, and, you, and it's contradictory. So it's right. forcing you to like reconcile these these two ideas that don't go together. And it doesn't right. instead of giving you a cut to kind of contrast them. Yeah, they don't follow exactly. Yeah, all. but yeah. in but what is what the single shot is telling you is that they should because normally a shot communicates one idea. <laughs> Right, right, and a tilt like that, you're expecting... Or is it a tilt, or does the whole camera move? I think it might be both. Okay, well, whatever. Those usually are to show you, like, where something's going, or yeah, yeah. to give you this scale of a building. So when you see that same character somewhere else, uh, it's it's odd. It's a, it's, a, it's a strange shot. And, of course, in the scene, uh, you're trying to figure out if maybe he's just imagining. Like, his floating up is just him walking upstairs to the top of a building. And so you saw it through his eyes, and now you're seeing what everyone else is seeing, which is him on the top of a building standing on yeah, the Yeah, and there's a moment uh, I think a little later I think maybe immediately after that where he like kind of floats down to a street and walks into a building and then like a cab pulls up and the cab driver chases after him because he didn't mm-hmm. pay and we didn't right. see him get out of a cab but the movie is suggesting to us that what we're seeing is not literally what happened. And right, it's a, it's, right. There's a lot of subjective. There's a lot of subjective narration. Exactly. Yeah, sure. and I think what's inter- what, what's interesting about the single shot is that it implies without editing, it implies a objectivity in a way, because mm-hmm. it, removing editing, it, it, it's almost as though this film is saying we're not hiding anything from you. We are mm. showing you without. But they without, are exactly. <laughs> yeah, and that's what's that's what the one that's the thing I found so interesting about this 
is that right. it's telling you with the single shot. We're not hiding anything. We're not taking anything away with a cut. You are seeing exactly what this movie is. You know, but it's it's exactly they are hiding something. There is something kind of up their sleeve, and they're very. Well, I, you know, this this shift between subjectivity and, uh, and, and objectivity happens all the time. I love how the camera will sort of float as if it's a perspective shot, like a POV shot. I, I'm thinking of the scene, again, uh, actually the same one where they go up under the catwalk. Above yeah, the yeah, uh, that's Norton. And, yeah. yeah, and it's behind, and it's like, oh, this is Norton's view. And then it sort of peels off and, like, peers over the ledge. And it's almost like what you would do if you were there. You're like, oh, I wonder, you know, are we high up off the ground? Are we, where are we? What's going on? And so the, the camera... It gives you those things, but that's not what Norton's doing, right? He's giving you, he's he's talking to Emma Stone. When it cuts back to him, he's in the mid mid conversation, you know. So, um, or it doesn't cut, but when it moves back to him, and so it's sort of cool how the camera, I think, shifts from POV to out out of POV um, constantly, and and this is the same here where it's not POV, but you're clearly seeing Reagan's imagination, assuming it's not real. Yeah, who knows? Again. Maybe he floated onto the building. Maybe he did. Well, yeah. Again. Um, um, that's I was so can I just say I was so happy when I found when I realized that um you'll believe a man can fly is the Superman uh the original Superman tagline. Yeah. And this movie is that literally. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And um and when he goes to the top of that building, the best part about this, and I don't know if it was intentional or not, I'm sure I it know, was yeah, on some yeah. level. But the man of steel It's in the background. The uh, poster is right in the background <laughs> just because it happened to be coming out that year. Or yeah, so um when this was being shot. So I just thought that was hilarious. Um, so yeah, and um, the single shot I think also goes to some themes, and and what you were just saying about the POV and kind of uh, tricking you into thinking you're we're in a certain mode, and then breaking out of it and coming back to an audience perspective. Mm. There's a lot of stuff about, and th- this gets to the play that's um, right. part of the narrative. One of my one one scene that I really like is where there's this kind of moment it's the end of the play not the end of the movie the, the, where we have this final scene and Regan's character like bursts into a motel room and we see this like once or twice done normally and then at one point through some series of events he has to enter from the back of the theater mm. and it's an interesting like it's it's a what they call you know a break the fourth wall moment and you know, he in the scene, he's supposed to have a gun, a prop gun, but as he's right. walking through the theater, he's just using his fingers as the gun. Yeah. And I love that because... It and it's not scene, until yeah. he walks onto stage, someone hands him the yeah, real someone gun. someone hands him a gun, and then he points And now, yeah, as if now he's entered the stage <laughs> world, and now he can, like... In, now he can interact with the fictional elements of... of Supposedly, the... although the whole thing feels theatrical. Exactly, you know? and that, that... And anybody in the street thinks that... I mean, this... The blurring keeps continuing throughout the film, especially at the end of, you know, where he, sh- where he shoots himself, um, because you, you know, and the critic lauds him for doing that, that was, oh my God. Um, which we can, we can talk about <laughs> later, but, uh, but, but that, that's, that's the biggest blurring. But here even we have the blur where people who are w- looking are like, wow, this is a publicity stunt. He's just doing something crazy. Um, but it's part of the play or he's trying to promote his play. It's all part of that and you know part of this connects to celebrity where you know even private lives become news for some reason because of um you know uh paparazzi and things like that so i think i think there's a there's a there's a lot of little ideas there but they all tie in at least with the the blurring of stage in real life yeah and um it it, it does it through both mediums so you get that you see that uh that blurring uh, on stage and mm-hmm. I, there's also moments with Norton's character who's always trying to be very method, and it's right. usually in a sexual way. Like almost, I think in right. almost every instance. Or no, there's it, it, it's well, you know, it's sexual in that it's like uh, almost animal, you know. Yeah. But it's not necessarily. Oh well, he's also drunk in one scene where he's supposed to be like he oh, he yeah. actually gets drunk. Oh and yeah. So that's another instance of him being you know all method, and he he can he right, can right, only be an actor if he's actually doing the things he's supposed to be pretending to do. And that, mm. that's also kind of blurring of, of his real life and this fictional life. The film is also, like we were just talking about, uh, blurring together in these, in these single images what we think is real and what we think is fake. And mm. that's very theatrical. That's very play-like because there are no cuts right. in a play. Right. You just have to watch it all in one as it's happening. Um, so, uh, so that's what I liked about it. <laughs> um, right. Right. Is there anything else you liked about it? Let's. 
Yeah, I mean, I liked a lot of things about it. So one thing I want to just point out is before we get into this, because I think I think I should clarify and put my bias on the table here. I saw Eight and a Half by Fellini. Mm. I saw uh, Synecdoche, New York um, by Charlie Kaufman. And now I've seen Birdman by Inuritu. And I think what's consistent across all these films is uh, there's a lot of similar themes, um, like very similar. Uh, and I recommend that anybody who liked Birdman should check them out because they probably will like those yeah, films. Check those out anyway because they're great. They're great films. But I will also confess, as someone who's watched a fair amount of films, <laughs> uh, you know, have a, I've, I got a film education, you know, a formal film education. I have no idea what happened in any of those movies. Uh, <laughs> I have zero idea what happened in this film. And I liked all of them. And I think what it is is that I just enjoyed my time with the film. And I think they're films that you can dissect. I, I remember coming out of um, coming out of uh, Synecdoche, New York, and uh, I think Scott Feinberg had posted about it from the Hollywood Reporter. He had posted something about that movie, and I messaged him or commented on something uh, about that movie after I saw it. I said, you know, I have no idea what I just watched, but it was pretty brilliant. <laughs> and and that's really my feeling about about this movie is that I don't know what it was trying to do. I think. Uh, the, like I said, there are a lot of parallels with the the idea of um, that that directors and auteurs and actors are never really sure what uh, or that there's this this blurring of reality and and this and maybe it's imagined. I don't you know I'm not a director. I don't know if this is a real phenomenon, but that they can't separate reality from like the screen or the or the stage. Um, but clearly, that's the the pretense for these films is that there's just this blurring of lines that doesn't fit and maybe it has to do with insanity or things or maybe this is what happens if you let it take over your life but um or maybe it's just symbolic i i don't know but they're all well synecdoche new york is depressing but it's also it has funny moments eight and a half is very funny uh and you know there's a lot of satire there of the industry and and here i think there's a lot of um it's it's this is the most comedic of those three films i would argue and um so basically, what I'm trying to say is that I don't really fully understand the film. Uh, I can point out that, uh, as you said, uh, and we'll get into your negatives in a minute, uh, that certainly there are uh, too many themes going on, too many ideas thrown at the screen. Um, but I think together they form, a, like, none of them on their own might work as as substantive ideas, but together they form an enjoyable experience. And I remember having a phenomenal time at the theater watching this. So um, I think that that's really how I came out of this. I can only, I can't offer a, a deep, a deep, um, until I think about it some more, uh, and I've had some time to do so, um, a really deep analysis or explanation of the film, but I can certainly offer a, um, my uh, experience seeing it, which was that I quite enjoyed myself. Yeah, I, can't argue, I can't argue that you didn't enjoy the film. Uh, <laughs> you are wrong. But... Yeah, right. <laughs> um, <laughs> I actually, um, I agree with you that I got out of this film and I was like, I have no idea what that film was trying to do. But right. to me, <laughs> that was a bad that thing. was my problem with it because I see all, well, okay, I see so all the you... little things that it was trying to do, but I don't, I, it didn't add up to anything for me. But how did you feel with those other films? Those like eight and a half or, or did you feel the same way or did you feel like you totally got them when you came, you know, came out of them? Well, I mean, well, Synecdoche, New York, I mean don't even pretend that you got Synecdoche, New York, because you're not supposed to. You're, not supposed, it's, yeah. you're supposed to get something out of it intellectually, but there, I don't think there's like a coherent narrative to Synecdoche, New York, and if there is, then I don't think it's like we're supposed to like dig through it for clues or something. Like that's not, there's other things to do with that movie. And okay. it's the same thing right. with Eight and a Half, you know, it's an, that movie's an enjoyable experience. Like you said, it's very funny. And it's very strange, but that's okay. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. And I guess maybe with eight and a half, I don't know, but eight and a half is also kind of. I feel like eight and a half is a little more directed. It's a little clearer, ironically, because there's some crazy, uh, surreal things going on in that movie. Yeah, but, um, and but but with this movie, I feel like I mean, especially I feel like there's direct callbacks to that film. I I, I have this impression that uh, Inuritu was definitely thinking about eight and a half to some degree. I mean, even the the first one of the first shots of eight and a half is the uh, uh, person on the beach holding. Uh, is it the main character on a string on or up a rope or something who's so. floating away? And you have very similar imagery in this where no one's tethering um, Riggin, but it's a similar sort of idea, um, just visually. Yeah, and so. I think that 
I, I'm okay with um, eight and a half being a little uh, uh, tough to tough to reach. I think in places mm-hmm. because I think that's it, it's. I'm not. I don't want to say that it's intentional because obviously, but I think right. that <laughs> it, it works for a purpose for that film. I, I or for me anyway. For in in that film, it it, it works to a coherent sense or a coherent notion that I get from that film. Like, oh, this is what this film was doing. And the only thing I could really get from Birdman was that maybe it's so kind of frantic and all over the place because this is a film about backstage at a Broadway show. And as That's certainly intention. I think, I, think, that's I mean, yeah, and sure. that's the kind of the, 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 the frenzied energy. But you can communicate that. You can communicate that with pacing and things, which they do without confusing your well, ideas. Well, exactly. And that, that, was the, yeah. that was what I was going to, you know... That would have been the excuse I would have given the film, but the problem is that I, I don't think that, even if that's the case, that this is a particularly interesting film, because even if you did that, great, you did it successfully, but I just don't care. <laughs> and mm-hmm. what, we're le- what we're left with, if that's not the case, is a lot of very, in a lot of cases, very different ideas. There's some that you can, you know... Tie together. Yeah. Exactly, especially the stuff about truth and art. But then, like, I, I don't know what, I don't know how to connect that to Riggin and his daughter. I don't know how to connect that to the whole weird, like, anti-YouTube sentiment throughout this film, or whatever. <laughs> this or the stuff with the critic, which I'm sure we. Well, I mean, you want to jump into the critic stuff because <laughs> we could do that. You know, I I often have that feeling. You know, there's a there's a tradition of slamming critics in movies, <laughs> which is fine. I I'm, we're not an oppressed group. I, I don't care. <laughs> Um, there's no privilege there, filmmaker privilege. <laughs> um, so, uh, I don't care. I, honestly, for me, if this film is a superhero movie, in some sense of the word, uh, then, um, you need a villain. And if the villain is the critic, then the villain's the critic. Whatever. You know what I mean? Like, to me, that's what it was. She fulfilled a role in the, in the thing. I got a little overdone when it was like, I've decided what I'm gonna give this, <laughs> this play without ever seeing it. And you're just like, Really? <laughs> Yeah, well, and you know what? And you know what? There are people who do that. So you know what? I, it was very I don't know what funny. To say. That's the thing. That's the. Re- I don't. I wasn't offended by the critic character, obviously, because she's so over the top. That, over like, the how top. could yeah, anyone yeah. be offended by that? That's <laughs> so clearly not meant to. Like, I mean, it's maybe. I think it, I cringed a little bit because I was like, really? well, yeah, in Yara two, when you when you're in Yara two and your films are, it's not hip to like his films. I don't think, even though I do. Well, critics, but I think. Don't cr- critics have really liked it? He, Maybe I mean uh, I know Ebert that says I, I think that Babel was one of the best movies he'd ever seen in his life. Like he put it on his great movies list. I like Babel uh, too, and, yeah. be- and beautiful. I, I like Babel, and then Beautiful was up for a bunch of Academy Awards, so it can't be that revival. I think that it was after just such a weird... after Beautiful, people kind of, or maybe even after Babel. I think Babel was kind of like people were all, oh, he's just, just he's pretentious and and his movie, his movie <laughs> is so bloated. And I mean, Beautiful is like two and a half hours long, and it's just. A, you know, that's a that's a slog of a movie, really. It's mm-hmm. just the most miserable experience. Um, <laughs> though I do, again, I, li- I like Amoris Peros. I think that's a very good film. But mm-hmm. I get the impression, just j- j- just the general impression from people I see talking about him, that he's not really a well-liked filmmaker. Or, mm-hmm. um, or that's not the popular He's certainly opinion. not, he's not, like, if you, out of the, the uh, was it the, th- the Three Amigos, that's what they call him, the uh, um, Guillermo del Toro and Alfonso Cuaron and, and Iñárritu, uh, he's certainly the least oh, well-known, yeah. <laughs> the least popular. This would be his biggest and most normal, I, well, not most normal, but, like, most mainstream sort of film. I mean, Babel had Brad Pitt in it, so I guess that automatically makes it the most. But I feel like more people are hearing about Birdman just because it's so... It's crazy. It's a crazy film, and so people are hearing about it and don't know what to think. Yeah, um, so, yeah, so I can see why maybe Inyar 2 would... Uh, want to poke fun at at a at a critic, and but like I was saying, this character is so ridiculous. When we every time we see her, she is writing a review at a bar. Yeah, she's writing it longhand. She's uh-huh. writing it on a piece of paper with a pen. No one, no one. I don't care who you are, would do that because uh, you're not submitting that to the New York Times on your. You know, you're not mailing that piece of paper to the New York Times. I'm, I'm sure that's not their procedure. And uh, I don't... Why I, uh, you just, just type it? Like... I might I might do that. Do you really? Like, you, <laughs> like I mean, I take notes, but do you really, like, write No, the... no, no. I mean, I've, I've... In my notebook, I have... 
uh, my, with my notes, and also I have written out reviews just because oh. this is a this is a total side point. Um, but I sometimes it's good to change up your. Sometimes it's better to write at home or at a you know at a cafe or at a wherever, uh, and just in that same token, just to change things up and get the creative juices flowing. Or whatever. Sometimes I write it out first before I type it up, and that can also be a way to <laughs> to like to like even just to sort out your thoughts. Um, for me. So I just, I thought I'd throw that no, out. No, no, I didn't mean to apply that this is like a stupid thing to do. Um, no, no, it, no. To right, me, it, I, I don't... Yeah. It does seem antiquated, I mean. I mean, and that's, I think that, that character just... obviously is antiquated and... Well, and she represents like this, you know, stiff, you know, old guard. Mm, yeah, like, very stuff. snobby. You know, I actually, I wondered if she represents, I don't know theater critics at all. I don't know anything about them. So I wonder if she was a... a a specific character of some New York Times. It's possible because in the film, know. she's the only theater critic. Isn't that the case? Yeah, and she everyone like knows her and so like, I'm. It's, I think it's very possible that she's supposed to represent. Yeah, I'm not familiar with theater critics either, but maybe she does yeah. represent. So it might be someone. an it might be an in joke about theater. Critics maybe there. yeah, maybe theater critics are like this, and this is just not our world. But <laughs> oh, and the other thing about this character is that I'm okay with this character because it, when Riggin talks to her, like he's actually right, and the things he says to her. Are right, and I especially like when he's talking about um, when he's like reading through her notes, and he's just reading off like a bunch of adjectives, and he's saying right. this is so lazy. These are just a bunch of labels. You're not actually saying yeah, anything about the art, <laughs> and like which is true. There is some really bad. I totally agree with that. You know? Exactly, um, and it's like so. It's not like um, obviously the critic character is not supposed to be liked, but I think that it's not an in that instance unfair portrayal maybe although you know the idea that she will just write a negative review before she even sees it yeah, is yeah, just yeah. is hilarious even what implies she's not good at her craft she's not like there's a lot of things that you know and there's also if you're offended by it it's like she's not supposed to be a good example of a critic exactly yeah, and i don't think um, this is like birdman is saying all hashtag not all critics um. <laughs> <laughs> exactly well um and then the other thing i just want to point out um it, the, the labels thing. So actually, after I saw this, I saw this with Mike Capitaferro, who's a d- director um, and uh, and a writer, and he's he's uh, he used to write for Movie Fail, and uh, now when he reads my reviews, he's like, you know, this is just labels. This is you're not saying anything here. Nothing of substance. So uh, at least it's given some fuel to <laughs> artists to fire back on critics. Um, so, uh, but anyway, I, you know, I. I she didn't really bother me. It's it's a thing that I think we have to address because we're critics, so we have to address it. But you know, it's a small part of the movie. It's not a big deal, and it doesn't. Again, it's. I think she she works as like a uh, a villain again. Going back to something I don't understand, uh, the entire hospital scene at the end. Uh, that's just I, on a lot of levels I don't get. Like I get that after he shoots his nose off, he has a mask that looks like a Birdman mask. His bandages, um, but why? We see the review in that hospital scene, and I I don't understand. I understand the premise of the review in that you know they're like she gives a shining review to this play because she because Regan actually shoots his nose off, and this idea that critics and audiences expect actors to bleed for them, and yeah, and you know this. I, I but I don't. It doesn't even seem like it fits the movie. Well, to me, I think she was... I thought she was and praising, what's the, like... that title is so ridiculous. The Unexpected Virtue of Ignorance, yeah. Um, to me, I, what I thought she was praising was, like... Uh, what, we were, what we were talking about earlier is the blending of the fictional and the real, in that he's actually actually shooting himself mm-hmm. in real life when he's pretending to shoot himself in the play. Right. And didn't she say something like it's a new genre, the new genre like super realism mm-hmm. or hyper real uh, hyper realism is a thing I think, but super realism maybe is the word she uses. Um, so I think that's what she was getting at. I don't. What I don't get is the title. The unexpected yeah, I virtue of I don't know how the unexpected virtue of ignorance. I just don't get the relation to what she, I think she says. I think she's saying that she was pleasantly surprised. She was. She was. Oh, she's talking about herself, man. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. But I, then I don't know but why the, such movie, a, why the such movie a, is subtitled that. Well, I think it's supposed to. I don't know why the movie is subtitled that. That is a good question. But it's almost like the, the, as a title, it's a super pretentious title. Birdman works, you know. Um, but yeah, well, Birdman is a superhero movie name. It is. I guess it is. It adds a pretentious title to it. That so it's kind of funny. In that it's way. kind of funny, and and it's supposed to be the play. Is like so maybe Inuritu is saying this movie's pretentious, or I don't know. I don't know. But this maybe. whole scene is so weird, and it ends weirdly, <laughs> where he goes in, he sees himself in the mirror, he has got a new nose, which looks strange on him, and then he 
goes back, and then uh, Emma Stone leaves. Well, and then he, he, sees, he sees Birdman on the toilet, and oh, there's a flushing sound, and he says goodbye forever or something. Or something like that, yeah. And then he climbs out the window, and then... And then there's that weird scene where... First of all, this probably has meaning, I don't know, but Emma Stone does have birds uh, tattooed on her shoulder. So, yeah. there's that. Um, but anyway, so she... So that might be that she's not a an objective party here because he jumps off the ledge and instead of looking she looks down right first and then looks up and then smiles as if he's really in the sky and i'm just like what yeah i'm implying that this is this was not fantasy yeah and you're like why this is it's so weird it's interesting but i will say this this would never happen you would never leave someone who literally tried to kill themselves (laughs) unattended in a hospital room so if he had killed himself there I liked that it was, like, sort of subverted my expectation a little bit. But if he had killed himself there, I'd been like, it just wouldn't happen. You would have had him under surveillance. He literally just tried to kill well, himself. Well, you know what you wouldn't have done? You wouldn't have put him in a room with windows that open <laughs> on, like, a high floor. Yeah, that no was kidding. my question. That seems like poor thought. But, okay, what I, what I want to say about this scene, well, a few things. But, uh, first of all, this movie has the same ending as Fight Club. Um, what? In that he, he, hey, wait, hang on, wait for it. You're gonna, <laughs> it's gonna, this is going to blow your mind. He tries to kill himself. Okay. He fails. All and right. in doing so, he rids himself of this imaginary uh, okay. oh, alter wow. ego. Okay, there you go. And then, um, you know, and Ed the, the last... It, so the last mo- and Ed Norton's in it. <laughs> Ed Norton's there. And um, the last moment is different, obviously. He doesn't right. uh, reconcile with his daughter. That would have like, completed it, but Although it's a it very similar... Like they are. It seems like it does maybe if 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 truly then that he is is flying away then and she's smiling so maybe metaphorically yes it's the same idea but that that was all I that was all I could think of and it was Fight Club was kind of yeah but it wasn't ringing like, in my ears the whole time but but, yeah. but the thing is about Fight Club is if a movie is like Fight Club for me it's this everything you thought was real wasn't or it is really real or whatever it is and that I didn't get that impression here like we know Birdman is in his head. Birdman is not actually behind him on the road on New York streets. You know what I mean? So we know yeah. that about him because that would be crazy. Uh, and what I, yeah, what I like we about don't that know that he's like... not floating around. I mean, we, yeah. the first time we meet him, it's I love it. It's one of my favorite shots in the movie. He is hovering above the ground with his legs crossed uh, mm-hmm. in his underwear. It's phenomenal. It's such a good shot. Um, <laughs> just because, it, and it's not. I, I I'm not like analyzing it from like a technical perspective. I just think it was funny and cool and weird. And I didn't know how they did it, so I was content on all fronts. And then he just walks away. <laughs> it's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> what I like about the Birdman is in his head, you're right. And it's funny because he will alternately like try to pretend that the, he can't hear the voice because he knows it isn't real. But in the same scene, he's like moving things with his mind and doing like right, right, right. like breaking light bulbs by pointing at them and like doing stuff that clearly is not normal. But is you know he's able to differentiate that from the Birdman you know alter ego, right. which that like that that is just crazy. That couldn't happen. That's not real. Right. But uh, now I'm gonna like turn the TV off by pointing at it. Right. Um, is so again blurring kind of what we think is fantasy, what we think is reality. It does blur it, but then Zach Galifianakis comes in and he's just throwing things. Yeah, well, he like, also tells Zach Galifianakis like I made the light fall when at the beginning when he makes the light fall on the bad right. actor. He says to Zach Galifianakis, "I did that." Because, but in, in like an objective, like what actually happened, point perspective, mm-hmm. he threw things around his room. Zach Galifianakis came in, the light fell as an accident, and because he's in this like mindset, he's like, "I made it fall." It's like, no, it, the light just fell, or he sabotaged it because he's crazy. I, you see him clear. glancing at it in that scene. Like he, every time you, you see him, he's kind of looking up at, at the light. So it's implying that it, either, yeah, maybe he sabotaged and maybe he is actually he, doing with his mind. Or he just sees it and he doesn't warn him, which also might just be it. You know, but. Yeah, I think, I think it's interesting what you're saying is like everything he's doing, and this is maybe a very literal interpretation of this very metaphorical movie, but everything he's doing is representative. What we see is representative of something that's happening in reality. Right, right, right. And, you yeah. know, I guess at the end, um, that's what's cool is that we have that subverted where uh, we don't see... Um, we don't see, like, so, like, when he floats away, and then we see them looking up, and he's really just on top of a building. Or when Zach Galifianakis comes in, and he's, his, the room is just a, a mess, and he's throwing things around. Uh, so we, we're constantly shown that this isn't really happening. Uh, or if we don't see it, then we'll see later a confirmation that that wasn't really happening. But we don't get that at the end. We only get Emma Stone, uh, Sam, right? Uh, yeah. Looking up, 
implying that, in fact, and there's no building there. She's looking out at birds and, like, looking out, you know, whatever. And so um, there's no confirmation of reality there. Yeah, well, and and that's, I think, the, the problem with talking about that. This aspect of the movie is we have to, like, <laughs> talk around what we mean by reality because it's not something you can even approach in this movie, really, without the caveat of, but actually this we this is all, like, you know, meant to be fantastical. And, and what's interesting about what I think this scene is meant to be, for a couple of reasons, is I, I don't think this scene happened. And what I want, I wanted to preface that with, I know that like none of this is, uh, I know that not only is this a movie, but, um, and none of this really literally happened, but also that nothing in this film is meant to be taken literally. Mm. But you know what? I like that the last scene doesn't happen. It, it, that's after the one, the, that's yeah, not well, that's my problem. He shoots himself. The one take breaks. Right. And we, it breaks for the first time. We get these kind of fl- abstract flashes of images. Mm-hmm. And then we resume the one take in his hospital bed. So maybe and he just died? That's, that was what I thought. And by the way... I like that. In this scene, he's gotten everything he was asking for the whole time. Yep. And the play is popular. The critic, the one person who was going to hate it, loved it. Right. Everyone is on TV. Everyone loves him all over the world. He's relevant again. So this is like, finally in this moment, everything he's been searching for the entire movie has come to him at once. But... And I think maybe what that final moment with Emma Stone is telling us is like, but is but it, but did this happen? Like, is this actually happening to him, or is he dead? Right. And again, it's hard to take this movie literally, or even take anything in this movie as representative of something literal. Mm-hmm. But my interpretation of it, and it's mainly that the shot breaks, and I, because I think that that sends a very clear message that something that we're stopping now. Mm-hmm. And we're changing to something else, which is that they haven't done that the whole time. And with when you're what you've just seen is the character shoot himself. Right. I think the assumption that you can very fairly make is well, the reason we're cutting now is because he's dead. Right. And they make it very clear throughout the movie that suicide is a is a is an ongoing thing, an ongoing theme. Um, as some, you know, I heard one interpretation uh, actually when I was talking to Mike about this movie that. Uh, you know, there's a lot of death imagery, especially like, for example, he's laying on his, in this dressing room, he's laying on his little thing in front of the mirror with his arms on, on his chest and flowers all around him, um, which is sort of a funeral like image. Um, there's obviously the idea of Icarus, uh, that we see, especially with that meteor thing, which has a whole bunch of interpretations, uh, apparently. Um, but also just, we get the suicide thing where he's about to jump off the building where he's uh jumps off the ledge at the end of the movie where he shoots himself uh that i you know as soon as you see the gun in that first the first time you see that scene play out on the stage you know it's probably going to end with a suicide yeah it's oddly predictable for a film that's so weird um, well yeah well i mean when he pulls out the real gun as he's getting ready to do the final scene it, you know what's going to happen well of course because you know they've made then. a point they because they made a point of that specific gun and they've made a point of that being an unrealistically fake gun and Norton tells him yeah, to get that a more realistic so one <laughs> and so as soon as he pulls out that gun you're like oh okay right yeah <laughs> i right. get it so um you know we we you asked me what i liked about this movie it's not just i liked a lot of the things we talked about but i we didn't even you i mean you you didn't even talk about the performances yeah um <laughs> did well, you like I mean, them I, I generally did. Oh, okay. I, I think well, Norton then. is Norton is excellent. <laughs> right. Norton is so good. He's hysterical. He's, he's very uh, good. Uh, and he should be because he's playing the good actor. Mm-hmm. Um, Emma Stone's very good too, uh, but she's you know she's always really great. She is, but I have to say, like I like I've liked her in everything, even movies that are mediocre, like Magic in the Wait, is it Magic in the Moonlight? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, the Woody Allen film. The movie is whatever, but <laughs> but um, but she is just unbelievable her monologue in this movie was stunning i thought it was just the easy highlight like acting highlight in this film for me i thought it was absolutely phenomenal i thought she was she was just really good yeah and um my thing is that i've been kind of wrestling with i've been wrestling with this movie a lot yeah but the one thing that i really just can't really come down on is is michael keaton really because i've seen so much like michael keaton is amazing in this movie michael keaton is his best performance and i watch this movie and i'm like but it's 
I don't I don't think it is. Huh. But but on the other hand, <laughs> maybe it is because remember <laughs> he's playing a mediocre actor. <laughs> Every time you see him performing, he's not very good. No, but when on he's stage. but when he's not performing, he's good, and I think that's intentional. But that's my thing. I don't think he's good when he's not performing. Really? Oh, okay. I don't think he's that good. Like, there's a scene where he, like, tells the fake sob story about his abusive father to Norton. And um, it's supposed to be this thing where, like, Norton really believes that he's a... That this is... He's being real now. Oh, I knew he was... I knew it was... I mean, yeah. But and, I feel and, like we were supposed to know, you know? I don't yeah, know. but I feel like Norton would have known is my thing. Mm. Because I don't think that Keaton as this character. Well, and again, this I don't is, know. This, I as a traditional though. performance, I have a problem with it because I think it's a little, a little stiff and a little awkward. But if this is, you know, but I believe meant- it because because Norton's constantly looking. Like he's desperate for a a, kind, a kindred spirit, which he doesn't really find in Sam. Uh, and so yeah, he so he wants he wants him to use a real gun because he wants someone else to be as crazy as he is about the stage because he's just he's nuts. He wants things that. You know, he's like, I have to really have sex in the bed. I have to really, you know, get drunk on stage. And so he's, like, desperate for kinship in that. It's lonely being, like, the best actor on Broadway or whatever he's supposed <laughs> to be, you know? And so he's... And no one else understands that he's... He can't even communicate it to Sam. Sam's like, you know, I don't I don't know what you're saying. Or, or his... Um, or to Naomi Watts, who, you know, they don't get that he only feels like he's himself when he's on stage, when he's taking other people's things, because he doesn't have his own identity. And I think that his identity is that he loves being other people. And for that moment, I think he finds kinship with Keaton and he really wants... So I believed it, in other words. In Maybe, yeah. And um, so, yeah, so I'm going to come down like 50-50 on Keaton <laughs> just, be, just because I cannot... I can't okay. feel like... I can't make a co- concrete decision about how I feel about his performance sure. because I think I could go either way. And um, since I'm so 50-50 on the movie itself, I, that doesn't sway me. Like, if I really liked the movie, I'd probably be inclined to say, okay, I'll accept this as a, you know, part of the movie that makes sense. Right. Or, but, and you get the idea. But, um, if we're talking about performances, let's just uh, broaden the scope and, uh, why was Naomi Watts in this? Why was her character, because every time we would go to her character, she gets about five minutes in this movie. Mm-hmm. And every time, it's like it seems like it's part of this arc. She exists simply to bolster, unlike Sam, she exists simply to bolster um, Ed Norton's arc. My problem is really with that whole thing is not any of that. It's that they drop Ed Norton from the second half of the movie. He stops being a character. He doesn't have anything to do for the second half of that film. Except to flirt with Emma Stone, yeah. Yeah, he does. Well, that's my thing. But then he characters, just fades out. A lot of characters disappear for long stretches. Emma Stone disappears for a really long stretch too. Mm-hmm. And Naomi Watts again. This is like what I've, I kept thinking of uh, Mulholland Drive. Like this is in an alternate universe, Mulholland Drive. That character went to New York to be an actress instead of Los Angeles, <laughs> and this is what happened to her. Um, <laughs> that's but, funny. Yeah, but um, and, and Amy Amy Ryan, you know that character. I think is at least has a place here. Right. Um, but uh, Andrea Riseborough, like again, I don't know why. It's okay that the characters are there because, like, you know, you need other actors in this play, I right, guess. Right, right. But I don't know why we occasionally will spend time with them. I'd like why, why Andrea Riseborough will suddenly be like, "I'm pregnant," and then ten minutes later she'll appear, or like even longer, twenty minutes later she'll come back to the movie and she'll be like, "Well, you know, I had a miscarriage," and then she'll disappear again for a half hour, <laughs> and it's just. Well, I think it. Weird. I think part of that is for the. It is that backstage thing, uh, and it, it, she like a lot of characters exist to bolster other characters, and that might be a criticism that that like two female characters literally just exist to bolster their male counterparts. Um, so that's yeah, I can see that uh, as an argument. Um, I liked Naomi Watts for the whole film that, or the, you know, for her 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 bits in the film uh, until her scene with uh, uh, the scene where she sort of she breaks down over what happened on stage I didn't buy it uh, which is funny because I like her a lot I think she's a good actress but I just it didn't work for me there well yeah I, I think that like I thought that that character would, would do that yeah would yeah. be upset but uh, yeah again I, I agree with you that I don't it was the know. only part of the movie where I was really like and it, it, it's not like a bad performance it's just like it, she does so well otherwise and everyone else does so well otherwise that it stuck out to me 
Yeah, and it's like the reaction makes sense with the placement in the movie for me doesn't make sense. Yeah, there's a lot. And of I don't that. know why we're fo- I don't know like why we're focusing on this if if we're not gonna follow through and actually make her an a-, a character. Well, you know, I actually when I was writing my notes for this, it, 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 the movie it can be split. I felt in roughly into like three, not acts. I guess you could call them acts, but uh, it, which is funny for a one take film, but. You know, we get the first part of the film where we're sort of getting introduced to everyone. Mike comes on. Uh, but then uh, Reagan's ex shows up. And then it sort of starts the next part where we see just lots of conflicts, you know, with Sam, with Mike, uh, with his ex-wife. Uh, and then the last part of the film where we get a lot of resolutions. Um, but not all of those fit so well. So, like, for example, the resolutions, we don't get something with Ed Norton again, you know, at the end. or we don't get. So it sort of works in, uh, to some degree. You can sort of split it up that way. Um, but yeah, so so the people fall in and out. I would say though that the film is really about Michael Keaton's character, which makes you wonder why they spent so much time in Ed Norton. But yeah, well, the film, the single shot would uh, is ostensibly like keeping you in Riggins' perspective, not literally a POV shot, but the un- it's meant to like signify that this is sure. what Riggins is seeing. But yeah, it breaks away and it goes to Norton a lot, and not even for like it's not like this is a half and half split between the two and the movie's about both of them it's just like once or twice or three times we're with Edward Norton now and Riggins nowhere to be seen and what are we like what what are we doing mm-hmm. yeah no I that's I, I I get that but I also think that the movie was meant to be about the ideas and I know that the ideas were a problem for you but I think that's the I think that's that's why he was less concerned with the Inuritu was less concerned with that um element of the film about you know who got screen time when it was more about communicating different things uh about actors uh, about direction artistry reputation celebrity things like that um i don't again for me i think it all came together in that uh not that it fit together but that it's like a uh a series of loosely connected ideas that are enough to chew on for the duration of the film i mean i was never bored I was never rolling my eyes. I was uh, never, you know, like the whole film, it, it grabbed my attention. Uh, spending time thinking about it, it's tough. Not because it's so complex, but because there's so much to, uh, just to, or it's just, it's difficult to come to a conclusion on it. It's a very, uh, it's a, in, it has fuzzy edges, you know, it's, it's not a well-defined film. And so uh, I think you either like that or you don't, but I think... Yeah, I think we 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 uh, we like you like this movie and I don't like this movie yeah. for the same reasons. Yeah, which is funny. Um, yeah, which is fine. But I think a lot of that's really good. Also, uh, just to mention it because I think it absolutely deserves uh, mentioning. Uh, what do you think of the soundtrack by Antonio Sanchez? Oh, uh, um, I'll say this: I thought it was just too like, oh, look at us being meta. Really? When, like, when the drummer actually like showed no, up. No, the first a, time I liked it. The it's first a time I liked it. between diegetic and non-diegetic. It's, 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 I don't know. I liked the it. First time I li- the first time I liked it when it's just, because I do kind of like when that happens, when it sounds like it's the score, but then it's, you know, you know, diegetic. But um, then it like then there's the band kept the happening. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. And it's like, all right, we we get it. <laughs> um, we, we, you don't have to keep playing the trick because you know you're, you already played but I didn't think hand. it was a trick I think it was just uh, it was like a motif you know what I mean it was just a thing that popped up throughout the film that it's it's sort of like it's a drumming maybe in his head maybe a callback to sort of things like um, uh, what am I thinking of it's Telltale Heart you know where uh, the Edgar Allan, Edgar Allan Poe story where he's like the drumming you know the beating of the heart or yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah. So, so this idea that you know when you're hearing or the Doctor Who of course the master Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it's that idea, and it seems to be, I don't know why we've decided that, like, when you're going, when you're sort of losing grip with reality, you start hearing a drumming, but that he's hearing that, and that in real life, he's maybe, and this is also, that especially that scene, or those scenes, we see it, uh, Keaton's in those scenes, so if that's a subjective view, maybe that drummer's playing a completely different thing, but he sees it as, look, everyone is playing this rhythm, you know what I mean? Yeah. What's the likelihood you, that they I mean, would he be? inserts the drummer into, like, he starts seeing the drummer because... Or that. that's what he's hearing, and he just kind one of or the, like, he one or the other. But a street, but a street player in New York makes sense. It's just they might not yeah. be playing what you're thinking of. It's just you you superimpose that because that's what you are thinking in your head. And so, and it's the same when he's in his underwear in the middle of Times Square. He passes da- by these people. They're not playing the same beat as him. It's <laughs> it's it's just it's it's him superimposing that. So to me, that's what that. And that goes to the blending of the fantasy and the reality yeah, that we were totally, talking about. But, totally. Um, yeah. 
I think really, and this is me being, un- I'm going to acknowledge that I'm being unfair, but um, <laughs> I saw so this weird. movie, I saw, I, <laughs> I know, <laughs> I saw this movie the day after I saw uh, Whiplash, Oh yeah, there which you go. is a film about drumming, <laughs> which has a drum sound, jazz drum soundtrack, yep. and um, alright, the, the final scene of that film has a drum solo that is unbelievable. It is crazy, it is so good and intense and just awesome, and I couldn't stop thinking about it every time the <laughs> stupid drumming in this movie showed up, and it didn't match up, and I know that that's not fair to Birdman, but that was just the experience I was forced right, to right, have sure. with it. <laughs> well, you know, I I think it worked really well in the trailers, I was hoping it would be a thing in the movie, it was, so for me it worked, I don't know, it, it and I haven't seen Whiplash yet, so that's oh, the Oh, see part. it, everybody see Whiplash. <laughs> everybody see Whiplash, but Birdman is... Okay, so, <laughs> but here's what I really want to get down to with Birdman, and at the risk of igniting a completely separate powder keg that I don't want to start. Um, <laughs> so, get ready. Um, I think that uh, Birdman is worth seeing. I think everybody should see it. And the reason I think that is that uh, you may not love it, uh, but you'll certainly have something to talk about um, when you come out of it because it's it's a complex and interesting film. At, at the very least, an interesting film experiment. At the most, uh, a film that might be might become one of your favorites. Um, I, I know people for whom Birdman is already, you know, reaching up there. It's not for me, but I, I really did enjoy it. Um, but I don't. But as we both said, we both enjoyed ourselves in the theater. So I think, I think it's worth seeing. Uh, I think it has a lot to offer, um, even just on a technical level. Uh, and unlike, so this is the powder keg. Unlike Gone Girl, which certainly inspired a lot of discussions. That's we should have sh- podcasted about that one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, maybe we shouldn't have because that's just—it's a—it's a slippery slope. But um, of course, you can you can check out our, my review on that, and lots of people have commented and complained uh, complained about that review. Uh, but but unlike that, I, I'm exhausted talking about Gone Girl. I don't want to talk about it anymore. Like when you when you hate a movie as much as I hated that film, you don't want to talk about it. Like people have said to me, well, isn't it great that it's inspiring discussion? Like, if without that film, we wouldn't be talking about it. But I don't... I don't want to talk about it. Whereas Birdman, <laughs> I, I, it's so confusing to me that I'm like, yeah, sure, and there's there's nothing offensive about it. There's nothing... So for me, I'm all I'm all for this, talking about this, even if you didn't love it. You know what I mean? Um, and again, at the most basic level, we can agree we both enjoyed ourselves in the theater, uh, just, I guess, to varying degrees. Well, I... Yes, and I'm going. I'm going to agree with you. Okay. I think you should see Birdman. If not, you know, I'm not saying that. I'm not endorsing Birdman, <laughs> uh, but I do think that. First of all, this is a great film to, to just to join the conversation on, uh, and I think that it's good to get a lot of different voices talking about this film because it. I don't want it to be so overwhelmingly. You know, oh my God, this movie's amazing. Not because, right. of, not just because I don't like it, or because I don't like that. I, not that I don't like that opinion, but just that you're just uh, contrarian, Josh. That's all you it, are. It's just because I. It's just because <laughs> I hate everyone who doesn't agree with me. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's it's that's um, why you didn't like Captain America. Yeah, I get it. It's exa- fine. <laughs> um, oh boy, <laughs> I know that's sorry. not going to be good. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's well, you you jumped on in front of the Gone Girl train for me, so. Now we're, we're even. Okay, we're yeah, even there, you go, there you go. But yeah, I, I think that it's good to get people talking and disagreeing about a film like this because it inspires a more interesting conversation. Mm-hmm. And also, if it, this isn't going to happen, but I would love for this to become a mainstream success because it, how awesome would it be if Hollywood started making more like weird, yeah. quirky, esoteric oh, totally. movies? If this like if this movie like crazy overperforms. It's awesome. Right. Even though I don't like it, it's going to mean that Hollywood might look at that and say, oh, well, maybe... Other movies can. Pe- yeah. People like that. We yeah, can make yeah. other movies like that. That would be fantastic. It is. And, is, and you know, I, the one other thing we didn't even mention in this is how weirdly meta the film is in general because it's about Michael Keaton who was in the Batman movies that I think we both grew up with. Um, he was Batman and now this is a Birdman movie. It's not really such a stretch uh, to see why the casting was done the way it was. Um, we have Ed Norton who wrote and starred in the Hulk, and he loves Marvel. He's a big, you know, um, uh, the Incredible Hulk, and uh, he's a big Marvel guy. And, and Emma Stone is in the Amazing Spider-Man movies. Um, so we have people from three different studios, you know, all working together in this one film about superhero movies and about superhero, uh, the the fallout from that. 
Uh, we even see direct references to Robert Downey Jr. and Iron Man, and the Birdman logo is in the Iron Man fonts. Yeah, like, I noticed that too. It's all it's all very intentional, and I think yeah, like but it's it's, it's uh, Hollywood needs to comment on itself every now and again, and without being self congratulatory, which this isn't. Certainly, Inuritu is not getting any sort of benefit from superhero movies being successful. Um, but it's cool to see this movie come out, and it works as a commentary on the way Hollywood's going right now, and it works uh, as as a weird, strange film. Uh, and and you're right, I would love to see it succeed just as a as a proof of concept, whatever. Uh, and I and I'll be very interested to see if we look back on. Like, because Synecdoche in New York, by the way, does not have good critical rating. It's like a 60 on Rotten Tomatoes. It, it, people liked it. Some people did. Some people didn't. I think that was mostly down to people had no idea what was going on. And it was whether or not you could tolerate that. Uh, <laughs> and so, and, and eight and a half, you know, there's, it, there's movies like this, I think, take time for people to go back and appreciate. And it really depends on whether or not this is su- successful, uh, as you said, to see if it's going to have an effect on, uh, on the industry and on other filmmakers. Yeah, and I, again, I don't like. I don't expect it to because you know this is a weird film. And I, <laughs> I don't think most mainstream audiences will latch onto it because it's not like. If it were like a lot funnier, or if it were a lot like more broadly entertaining, then I could definitely see this breaking out. But I think it is still so kind of esoteric that it's gonna be a lot of people who like this kind of stuff are gonna love this. But like my parents wouldn't get this yeah no care. okay so i gotta i gotta tell you something first of all did you find it funny i found you know bits and pieces funny yeah the fight come on the fight is the, great the fight's hysterical yeah, that's <laughs> one of them. yeah i love i love that ed norton was willing to just do that and it's so funny seeing him you know because we, we see him shirtless a lot and he's not like brad pitt you know you he's see his just butt in, you see his butt in this movie you, yeah. you do and but in and in general though in movies we see him but like when we saw him Last, the most memorable scene, of course, is in American History X, where he's just jacked. Oh my God. And, like, to, to think about this versus that is just so funny. Um, and it's and it's also funny, by the way, so I mentioned that they were all super, in superhero movies, which is kind of a weird thing, but also that it plays on things like, you know, Michael Keaton's not relevant in the superhero world anymore, and Ed Norton is uh, has a reputation for sort of taking over films or not working well with directors sometimes, and... Um, specifically the incredible hulk yeah specifically the, the incredible hulk or with um uh with Amer- with american history x where he sort of dominate dominated that whole film and uh at the behest of the studio it was a weird situation um i'll link to it in the in the review uh but yeah no i i, I don't know i it's i found i found it funny but what was so funny about my screening was that i went to it and uh i was with i was with mike to to see it and uh we're both we're both fairly young and we saw these older women who were there who stopped us on our way out. First of all, they were all talking, going like, I don't know if I like that. I, that wasn't, that was a weird movie. And then uh, <laughs> they stopped us on our way out and they said, did you like that movie? And Mike was like, yeah, because he loved it. You know, he's like, yeah, yeah, I really liked it. And I was like, yeah, no, it's enjoyable. I really I had, a, I had a good time with it. I wasn't sure how I felt, you know. I wasn't ready to give my opinion clearly because still, I'm still not. <laughs> um, and uh, they said, but did you find it funny? We're like, yeah, it was funny. And they're like, yeah, we just, we didn't get it. You know, we didn't find it very funny. <laughs> um, and it was so funny because the movie literally talks about generation gaps. And this, yeah. And so I, I thought it was, it's cool to see a movie that literally both talks about it and then affects an audience so drastically between, you know, multiple generations. So, yeah. I think so maybe it doesn't the, have the mass appeal. These were the same women who I saw Under the Skin with <laughs> when that exact same thing happened. Really? And we walked out and they were like, did you get what was going on? <laughs> There you go. Yeah, and, and that film's even more weird than this. That's yeah, for seriously. Sure. Um, but, uh, yeah. Yeah, so anyway, I enjoyed it. So uh, what we got to decide on a verdict now. This is going to be tough. Um, Ooh, um, <laughs> all right, how are so... you feeling? How are you feeling? Well, here's the thing. Because you said you'd that... recommend it. So. Exactly. And the reason I gave it 50 was only because um, I just don't know. Like, this, I like I really like one thing about it. Mm-hmm. And everything else I just really don't care about. So, I'm like, how how low would you be willing? Because you had like you were like in the nineties. I, I did, I did. I would, and I stick by that. So whatever you see in the final verdict, I'm sticking to that. Um, but I will, you know, I concede like a. We're gonna end up in the seventies again, aren't we? I'm thinking oh. that that's. I'm thinking that it's that's, happened like several times. It hasn't has. It? <laughs> it has. And what that's funny. But what's funny about that is I felt that's very appropriate for certain films like Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. Uh, I don't know that it is. Uh, it doesn't fit this film. 
Um, but I would be content with a like a, a well. Where are you in the seventies? If we were to do seventies, um, I would go just seventy. Seventy. All right. Would you fine. go seventy? Yeah, I'd do seventy. Why not? Because um, right. this was a good conversation. So <laughs> I, I feel like I got some. We got something out of this movie. Yes, and we both dropped about twenty points. So. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you you went up twenty. I went, I went down twenty. So meet in well, the middle. We'll yeah. meet in the middle. Yeah. Um, and uh, so, so I guess that's a meh. It's a meh from us, but that's you know what? Okay, you gotta decide on this because it's a meh uh, by like our normal metric at Movieville, but you also want people to see it. So, what do you think? Ooh. See, I can't, I cannot, in good conscience, <laughs> call it a win. All right, um, we can leave I, it as a meh. I know you can, yeah, I can. I but um, if if you feel comfortable leaving it as a meh, but with the but see it anyway mm-hmm. uh, caveat, then yeah, all right, I'll that's do that. That's what we'll do then. All right. All right. So this has been uh, a dueling review of. We came to a very peaceful conclusion in this duel. <laughs> yes, we did. Um, it we, was. Uh, it was not like a normal duel. I think uh, in the in the traditional. It wasn't like, like our Godzilla. Oh, like God, our Godzilla no. episode. God, no. Yeah, not Victorian, not Godzilla. Um, <laughs> so yeah, there you <laughs> yeah, go. Yeah. So this has been Movie Fail Podcast. Thank you for joining me. Sorry, and, uh, see you next time. Okay.